Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Roe to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to roco snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. is brought to you by our Patreon supporters and by Wild Roses. Tonight, we'll read the next part of the chapter, Camp Lawrence, in the book Little Women by American author Louisa May Alcott, published in 1868. Following the lives of the four March sisters, Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy, the novel details their passage from childhood to womanhood and is loosely based on the author and her sisters. If you'd like to start from the beginning, you can listen to the whole series in order at snoozecast.com slash series. In the last episode, the March sisters go on a picnic with Lori and his friends visiting from England. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. The commander-in-chief and his aides soon spread the tablecloth with an inviting array of eatables and drinkables, prettily decorated with green leaves. Joe announced that the coffee was ready, and everyone settled themselves to a hearty meal, for youth is seldom dyspeptic, and exercise develops wholesome appetites. 
A very merry lunch it was, for everything seemed fresh and funny, and frequent peals of laughter startled a venerable horse who fed nearby. There was a pleasing inequality in the table, which produced many mishaps to cups and plates. Acorns dropped into the milk. Little black ants partook of the refreshments without being invited. And fuzzy caterpillars swung down from the tree to see what was going on. Three white-headed children peeped over the fence, and an objectionable dog barked at them from the other side of the river with all his might and mane. There's salt here, said Lori, as he handed Joe a saucer of berries. Thank you, I prefer spiders, she replied, fishing up two unwary little ones who had gone to a creamy death. How dare you remind me of that horrid dinner party? when yours is so nice in every way, added Joe, as they both laughed and ate out of one plate, the china having run short. I had an uncommonly good time that day and haven't got over it yet. This is no credit to me, you know. I don't do anything. It's you and Meg and Brooke who make it all go and I'm no end obliged to you. What shall we do when we can't eat anymore? Asked Lori, feeling that his trump card had been played when lunch was over. Have games till it's cooler. I brought authors, and I dare say Miss Kate knows something new and nice. Go and ask her. She's company, and you ought to stay with her more. Aren't you company, too? I thought she'd suit Brooke, but he keeps talking to Meg. And Kate just stares at them through that ridiculous glass of hers. I'm going, so you needn't try to preach propriety, for you can't do it, Joe. Miss Kate did know several new games, and as the girls would not and the boys could not eat any more. They all adjourned to the drawing room to play a game. Do you know truth? I hope so, said Meg soberly. The game, I mean. What is it? said Fred. Why, said Miss Kate, you pile up your hands Choose a number and draw out in turn, and the person who draws at the number has to answer truly any question put by the rest. It's great fun. Let's try it, said Joe, who liked new experiments. Miss Kate and Mr. Brooke, Meg and Ned declined. But Fred, Sally, Joe, and Lori piled and drew, and the lot fell to Lori. Who are your heroes? asked Joe. Grandfather and Napoleon. 
Which lady here do you think prettiest? said Sally. Margaret. Which do you like best? from Fred. Joe, of course. What silly questions you ask. And Joe gave a disdainful shrug as the rest laughed at Lori's matter-of-fact tone. Try again. Truth isn't a bad game, said Fred. It's a very good one for you, retorted Joe in a low voice. Her turn came next. What is your greatest fault? asked Fred, by way of testing in her the virtue he lacked himself. A quick temper. What do you most wish for? said Lori. A pair of boot lacings, returned Joe, guessing and defeating his purpose. Not a true answer. You must say what you really do want most. Genius. Don't you wish you could give it to me, Lori? And she slyly smiled in his disappointed face. What virtues do you most admire in a man? Asked Sally. Courage and honesty. Now my turn, said Fred as his hand came last. Let's give it to him, whispered Lori to Joe, who nodded and asked at once, Didn't you cheat at croquet? Well, yes, a little bit. Good. Didn't you take your story out of the sea lion? Said Lori, rather... Don't you think the English nation perfect in every respect? Asked Sally. I should be ashamed of myself if I didn't. He's a true John Bull. Now, Miss Sally, you shall have a chance without waiting to draw. I'll harrow up your feelings first by asking if you don't think you are something of a flirt, said Laurie as Joe nodded to Fred as a sign that peace was declared. You impertinent boy, of course I'm not, exclaimed Sally with an air that proved the contrary. What do you hate most? asked Fred. Spiders and rice pudding. What do you like the best? asked Joe. Dancing in French gloves. Well, I think truth is a very silly play. Let's have a sensible game of authors to refresh our minds, proposed Joe. Ned, Frank, and the little girls joined in this, and while it went on, the three elders sat apart, talking. Miss Kate took out her sketchbook again, and Margaret watched her while Mr. Brooke lay on the grass with a book, which he did not read. How beautifully you do it. I wish I could draw, said Meg, 
with mingled admiration and regret in her voice. Why don't you learn? I should think you had taste and talent for it, replied Miss Kate graciously. I haven't time. Your mama prefers other accomplishments, I fancy. So did mine, but I proved to her that I had talent by taking a few lessons privately, and then she was quite willing I should go on. Can't you do the same with your governess? I have none. I forgot young ladies in America go to school more than with us. Very fine schools they are, too, Papa says. You go to a private one, I suppose? I don't go at all. I am a governess now. Oh, indeed, said Miss Kate. But she might as well have said, Dear me, how dreadful, for her tone implied it, and something in her face made Meg color and wish she had not been so frank. Mr. Brooke looked up and said quickly, Young ladies in America love independence as much as their ancestors did and are admired and respected for supporting themselves. Oh, yes, of course. It's very nice and proper to do so. We have many most respectable and worthy young women who do the same and are employed by the nobility because, being the daughters of gentlemen, they are both well-bred and accomplished, you know, said Miss Kate in a patronizing tone that hurt Meg's pride and made her work seem not only more distasteful, but degrading. Did the German song suit Miss March? inquired Mr. Brooke, breaking an awkward pause. Oh, yes. It was very sweet, and I'm much obliged to whoever translated it for me. And Meg's downcast face brightened as she spoke. Don't you read German? asked Miss Kate with a look of surprise. Not very well. My father, who taught me, is away, and I don't get on very fast alone for I have no one to correct my pronunciation. Try a little now. Here is Schiller's Mary Stewart and a tutor who loves to teach. And Mr. Brooke laid his book on her lap with an inviting smile. It's so hard, I'm afraid to try, said Meg, grateful but bashful in the presence of the accomplished young lady beside her. I'll read a bit to encourage you. And Miss Kate read one of the most beautiful passages in a perfectly correct but perfectly expressionless manner. Mr. Brooke made no comment as she returned the book to Meg, who said innocently, I thought it was poetry. Some of it is. 
try this passage. There was a strange smile about Mr. Brooks' mouth as he opened at poor Mary's lament. Meg obediently following the long grass blade which her new tutor used to point with, read slowly and timidly, unconsciously making poetry of the hard words by the soft intonation of her musical voice. Down the page went the green guide, and, presently, forgetting her listener in the beauty of the sad scene, Meg read as if alone, giving a little touch of tragedy to the words of the unhappy queen. If she had seen the brown eyes then, she would have stopped short, but she never looked up, and the lesson was not spoiled for her. Very well indeed, said Mr. Brooke, as she paused, quite ignoring her many mistakes and looking as if he did indeed love to teach. Miss Kate put up her glass and, having taken a survey of the little tableau before her, shut her sketchbook, saying with condescension, You've a nice accent, and in time will be a clever reader. I advise you to learn, for German is a valuable accomplishment to teachers. I must look after Grace. She is romping. And Miss Kate strolled away, adding to herself with a shrug. I didn't come to chaperone a governess, though she is young and pretty. What odd people these Yankees are. I'm afraid Laurie will be quite spoiled among them. I forgot that English people rather turn up their noses at governesses and don't treat them as we do, said Meg, looking after the retreating figure with an annoyed expression. Tutors also have a rather hard time of it there, as I know to my sorrow. There's no place like America for us workers, Miss Margaret. And Mr. Brooke looked so contented and cheerful that Meg was ashamed to lament her hard lot. I'm glad I live in it then. I don't like my work, but I get a good deal of satisfaction out of it after all. So I won't complain. I only wished I liked teaching as you do. I think you would if you had Lori as a pupil. I shall be very sorry to lose him next year, said Mr. Brooke, busily punching holes in the turf. Going to college, I suppose? Meg's lips asked the question, but her eyes added 
And what becomes of you? Yes, it's high time he went, for he's ready. And as soon as he is off, I shall soldier. I'm needed. I'm glad of that, exclaimed Meg. I should think every young man would want to go, though it is hard for the mothers and sisters who stay at home. She added sorrowfully, I have neither, and very few friends to care whether I live or die, said Mr. Brooke rather bitterly, as he absently put the dead rose in the hole he had made and covered it up. Laurie and his grandfather would care a great deal, and we should all be very sorry to have any harm happen to you said Meg heartily. Thank you. That sounds pleasant, began Mr. Brooke, looking cheerful again. But before he could finish his speech, Ned, mounted on the old horse, came lumbering up to display his equestrian skill before the young ladies and there was no more quiet that day. Don't you love to ride? asked Grace of Amy. As they stood resting after a race round the field with the others, led by Ned. Oh, I dote upon it. My sister Meg used to ride with Papa but we don't keep any horses now, except Ellen Tree, added Amy, laughing. Tell me about Ellen Tree. Is it a donkey? asked Grace curiously. Why, you see, Joe is crazy about horses, and so am I. But we've only got an old side saddle and no horse. Out in our garden is an apple tree that has a nice low branch. So Joe put a saddle on it, fixed some reins on the part that turns up, and we bounce away on Ellen Tree whenever we like. How funny, laughed Grace. I have a pony at home and ride nearly every day in the park with Fred and Kate. It's very nice, where my friends go too, and the row is full of ladies and gentlemen. Dear, how charming. I hope I shall go abroad some day, but I'd rather go to Rome than the row, said Amy, who had not the remotest idea what the row was and wouldn't have asked for the world. Frank, sitting just behind the little girls, heard what they were saying and pushed his crutch away with him with an impatient gesture as he watched the active lads going through all sorts of comical gymnastics. Beth, who was collecting the scattered author cards, 
looked up and said, in her shy yet friendly way, I'm afraid you are tired. Can I do anything for you? Talk to me, please. It's dull sitting by myself, answered Frank, who had evidently been used to being made much of at home. If he asked her to deliver a Latin oration, it would not have seemed a more impossible task to bashful Beth. But there was no place to run to, no Joe to hide behind now. And the poor boy looked so wistfully at her that she bravely resolved to try. What do you like to talk about? She asked, fumbling over the cards and dropping half as she tried to tie them up. Well, I like to hear about cricket and boating and hunting, said Frank had not yet learned to suit his amusements to his strength. My heart, what shall I do? I don't know anything about them, thought Beth, and, forgetting the boy's misfortune in her flurry, she said, hoping to make him talk, I never saw any hunting but I suppose you know all about it. I did once, but I can never hunt again, for I got hurt, leaping a confounded five-barred gate, so there are no more horses and hounds for me, said Frank, with a sigh that made Beth hate herself for her innocent blunder. Your deer are much prettier than our ugly buffaloes, she said, turning to the prairies for help and feeling glad that she had read one of the boys' books in which Joe delighted. Buffaloes proved soothing and satisfactory, and in her eagerness to amuse another, Beth forgot herself and was quite unconscious of her sister's surprise and delight at the unusual spectacle of Beth talking away to one of the dreadful boys against whom she had begged protection. Bless her heart, she pities him, so she is good to him said Joe, beaming at her from the croquet ground. I always said she was a little saint, added Meg, as if there could be no further doubt of it. I haven't heard Frank laugh so much for ever so long, said Grace to Amy, as they sat discussing dolls and making tea sets out of the acorn cups. 
My sister Beth is a very fastidious girl when she likes to be, said Amy, well pleased at Beth's success. She meant fascinating, but as Grace didn't know the exact meaning of either word, fastidious sounded well and made a good impression. An impromptu circus, fox and geese, and an amicable game of croquet finished the afternoon. At sunset, the tent was struck, hampers packed, wickets pulled up, boats loaded, and the whole party floated down the river, singing at the top of their voices. Ned, getting sentimental, warbled a serenade with the pensive refrain. Alone, alone, ah, woe, alone, and at the lines. We each are young, we each have a heart. Oh, why should we stand thus coldly apart? He looked at Meg with such a lackadaisical expression that she laughed outright and spoiled his song. On the lawn where it had gathered, the little party separated with cordial good nights and goodbyes, for the Vaughns were going to Canada. As the four sisters went home through the garden. Miss Kate looked after them, saying, without the patronizing tone in her voice, in spite of their demonstrative manners, American girls are very nice when one knows them. I quite agree with you, said Mr. Brooke.